hovering over them, and what with little sleep and much reading, his brain got so dry that he lost his wits. His fancy grew full of what he used to read about in his books: enchantments, quarrels, battles, challenges, wounds, wooings, loves, agonies, and all sorts of impossible nonsense. And it so possessed his mind that the whole fabric of invention and fancy he read was true. That to him, no history in the world had more reality in it. He used it to say that Sir Ruy Diaz was a very good knight, but that he was not to be compared with the knight of the burning sword, who, with one backstroke, cut in half two fierce and monstrous giants. He thought more of Bernardo del Carpio because, at Roncesvalles, he slew Roland in spite of enchantments, availing himself of the artifice of Hercules when he strangled Antias, the son of Terra, in his arms. He approved highly of the giant Morgante because, although of the giant breed, which he saw was arrogant and ill-conditioned, he alone was a fable and well-bred. But above all, he admired Reynaldos of Montalban, especially when he saw him sallying forth from his castle and robbing every one he met, and when beyond the seas he stole that image of Mahomet, which, as his history says, was entirely of gold. To have a bout of kicking at that traitor of Ganelon, he would have given his housekeeper and his niece into the bargain. In short, his wits being quite gone, he hit upon the strangest notion that ever madman in this world hit upon, and that was that he fancied it was right and requisite, as well for the support of his own honor as for the service of his country, that he should make a knight errant of himself, roaming the world over in full armor and on horseback in quest of adventures. And putting in practice himself all that he had read of as being the usual practices of knights errant, righting every kind of wrong and exposing himself to peril and danger from which, in the issue, he was to reap eternal renown and fame. Already the poor man saw himself crowned by the might of his arm, Emperor of Trebizond, at least, and so, led away by the intense enjoyment he found in these pleasant fancies, he set himself forthwith to put his scheme into execution. The first thing he did was to clean up some armor that had belonged to his great grandfather, and had been for ages lying forgotten in a corner, eaten with rust and covered with mildew. He scoured and polished it as best he could, but he perceived one great defect in it: that he had no closed helmet, nothing but a simple morion. This deficiency, however, his ingenuity supplied, for he contrived a kind of half helmet of baseball which, fitted on the morion, looked like a whole one. It is true that, in order to see if it was strong and fit to stand a cut, he drew his sword and gave it a couple of slashes, the first of which undid in an instant what had taken him a week to do. The ease with which he had knocked it to pieces disconcerted him somewhat, and to guard against the danger, he set to work again, fixing bars of iron on the inside until he was satisfied with its strength, and then, not caring to try any more experiments with it. He passed it and adopted as a helmet of the most perfect construction. He next proceeded to inspect his hack, which, with more quarters than a real and more blemishes than a steed of Gonella, that tantum pellis et osa fuit, surpassed in his eyes the Bucephalus of Alexander or the Babieca of the Cid. Four days were spent in thinking what name to give him, because, as he said to himself, it was not right to a horse belonging to a knight so famous. And one with such merit of his own should be without some distinctive name, and he strove to adapt it so as to indicate what he had been before belonging to a knight errant, and what he then was. For it was only reasonable that his master taking a new character, he should take a new name, 
and that it should be a distinguished and a full-sounding one, befitting the new order and calling he was about to follow. And so, after having composed, struck out, rejected, added to, unmade, and remade a multitude of names out of his memory and fancy, he decided upon calling him Rosinante, a name to his thinking, lofty, sonorous, and significant of his condition as a hack, before he came what he now was, the first and the foremost of all the hacks in the world. Having got a name for his horse so much to his taste, he was anxious to get one for himself, and he was eight days more pondering over this point, till at last he made up his mind to call himself Don Quixote, whence, as has been already said, the author of this veracious history have inferred that his name must have been beyond a doubt Quijada, and not Quesada as others would have it. Recollecting, however, that the valiant Amadis was not content to call himself curtly Amadis and nothing more, but added the name of his...